morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Welcome uh, to Bible study today. Uh, good to be together. Um, looking forward to our time. Um, you know, uh, Pastor Kurt always does a really good job of reminding us how Jesus revolutionized the world and especially kids' place in the world. And um, uh, maybe sometimes us in America have taken it to an extreme, but nonetheless, uh, kids were on the bottom rung of uh, society, no doubt about it. And Jesus changed that. Um, so the question for you today is we prepared to get started is, what does God use to hold back his enemies? Huh. You ever thought about that? Well, Psalm 8 says something about it, and it's really surprising and very much fits in to what we're going to be talking about in Mark 10 today. So uh, if you want to turn over to Psalm 8, you can, or if you just want to close your eyes, uh, we'll pray this uh, together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Pick up with verse 13. Jesus is in his final stretch. He's doing sort of his last teachings. Uh, he's repeating himself because the disciples haven't got it all. Real important component to realize Jesus is very much in his, his story telling mode, his look at life mode. Remember, we've got two schools of thought, two schools within the rabbi tradition. Uh, you've got the Pharisee mode, which is make simple rules so that people can do what the law says. You know, when in doubt, have everybody do it. When in doubt, uh, build a fence around it. Like Steve and I talk about a shamar. Uh, so uh, make your life so regimented that you're going to do the right thing. Jesus doesn't subscribe to that. He gets very frustrated with that. He comes from the other school uh, called Shammai. And they believe that living life 
looking at real life experiences, looking at stories, uh, this is where you will see what God wants you to do. You listen to what the law says, but you find a way to do it in real life. So that's why Jesus tells parables. That's why Jesus, uh, in, like you'll see here, he has these two encounters uh, with people, and he bases Again, this real life experience on uh, the the teachings. Now, to be sure, the the Shammai stuff, and it's actually called Haggidah. Um, so, tell the story. Um, the Haggidah that Jesus does is the method that he uses, but the content that Jesus presents very different. And if you stop and think about it, he's going to do two things, to hopefully today. He's going to talk about kids. He's going to talk about a rich young ruler. So these are just scenarios that happen, and he bases his teachings on that. He's headed towards the ultimate Haggidah, the ultimate teaching through life. And that's the cross. Sure. It's, it's this huge thing that he's, he's working his way to. So we'll pick up in 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples told them not to bother him. Now, this seems strange to us. It seems like the disciples are weird. But like we've talked about before, Steve just mentioned, uh, children even in Jewish society, were to be seen, not heard. There were occasions in which the rabbis would bless children and certainly would teach the children, so that's their job. But this this is an interruption. This is the crowd's trying to force their way in. I mean, the rabbi's time is very important. You can't just crash, right? And so Jesus uses this this sort of mm, inappropriate moment on the part of some zealous parents to make this this teaching point. So, so on a continuum, if if kids are on kind of the lowest rung of the continuum of importance in even Jewish culture, what would be the highest rung? Grandparents. That, that's a good, yeah. yeah. Elders, someone yeah. with grain in their beers. Okay, it's, yep. just kind of, kind of keep digging, keep mining. Uh-huh. Hmm? Uh-huh. No, so like, like grandparents or what, which grandparent would then be most important? The, the male. And then what type of eldest males would be the most important? Keep going. Uh-huh. The ones with the most money. Right? Like, so there's this, you know, so this continuum that would end with the most wealthy men in in culture, right? In society. And so you're going to see how that kind of, how Jesus plays off of that as we go through this. I'm sure you've seen the picture, right, of Jesus holding the children. He had to actually sit there quite a while to get that painting done, right? <laughs> but it, it makes this point that he is he is changing the way kids are involved in worship, involved in the presence of the rabbi. I mean, it, all the laws that are surrounding the temple and sacrifice and tabernacle, none of it mentions children. Um, in other cultures, uh, other temples, children didn't—they were not involved at all. So he—he he really is using this kingdom thing 
to change it all. And honestly, guys, if, if we can get this, it's, it's a powerful intro into Jesus' teaching. If you look at the scenarios that are happening to you in your real life, somebody interrupts you at work and brings a kid in. What do you do? You say, you know, this is a workplace. Get out of here. We, we, we got bills to pay. Or do you stop for a minute and think, oh, wait, God's actually in charge of all this. And yeah, people are going to do stupid things, but I can do holy things in the midst of all this. So uh, kudos to Jesus. Uh, he, again, make a point, tells the disciples, uh, guys, uh, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So this would shock them, right? They've grown up in a culture where it's it's a meritocracy with the rabbis. The more you know, the more you study, the more scripture you've memorized, the more you understand, that moves you up. And like Steve said, you got the bottom rung here. These kids don't know anything. Chances are, these kids aren't even studying with a rabbi. Because otherwise they would be with that rabbi, getting the blessings from that rabbi. So these are the dropouts, or very, very young. And Jesus is like, no, look at this bottom rung here. The kingdom, the first, shall be last. And of course the disciples are thinking, oh, what is this? What is this he's talking about? So he goes on, I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And we've been trying to figure out what Jesus just said for thousands of years. What do kids have that gets them into the kingdom of God? Uh, in the word in this case, submission. They, yeah. they know nothing. They're blank slates. They're blank slates. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, um, uh, oh, um, <laughs> I don't want to say naive, but just yeah, fully trusted. Yeah. They're also receptive. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so. Think, think with me through that. I mean, you're not wrong, and it's uh, Jesus is trying to get us to do this, right? Because he's sort of asking us a question, and then he's not giving us the answer. If that's all God wanted was the innocence, the the submission, the trust, why not just have children? Why not, in a sense, just end this all at eight? If that's all that he wants... Why does he allow us to grow old? Why does he give us 80 years, as they say, uh, to have gray in your beard and you understand? Why not just take us all as children? The obvious answer to me is that's not what he wanted. That's not what he intended. Right. We were born as the original people. Eternal life. Right. But they still have something. I mean, this is what is Jesus doing? This they still have something that he says gets you into the kingdom. But they're not, you know, they're tadpoles. He wants frogs. He wants us to grow up and change. But there's still that something about a child. And again, this would have been a shock for them because they're the lowest. They don't know anything. You know, in his world, what you know is what makes you somebody. 
So maybe it is that that trust, that faith. Um, you know, the children don't even know what the parents are doing, really. Um, but they trust their parent, and the parent leads them to a good place. If we can combine those things of being wise but trusting God, then maybe we we get into what Jesus is after. Well, I think also a part of it is is this this blessing that the parents are seeking on behalf of their kids is like it's everything. Like the biblical the biblical story of blessing, it is like central to the story. Wouldn't you agree, Pastor Kurt? Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it, it is like central, and so without God's blessing, can Abraham be anything? No. Uh, and that this blessing is intended to be received to pass it on. Well, one of the things that invariably happens that when we grow up, we <laughs> we become successful and we grow, and it's like we our need for God's blessing becomes diminished because we got it, Cade. Right. Our perceived need. Yeah. What? Our perceived. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good way to yeah. put it, right? Becomes less. And it, I think that's what... The, these kids have nothing but God's blessing. And it's just staying in this place where we stand under regularly the blessing of God in order to pass it on. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is this place where we're always bearing fruit, right? Uh, always hanging fruit on our uh, our tree for other people to eat off of it. But our fruit won't grow unless we're remaining under the blessing. And uh, I think that's what one of the things Jesus is getting at here. And it's going to be, there's going to be a, a very big contrast in the next pericope. Can I say pericope this early in the morning? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but if you can say it, go for it. That's no, right. Kidding. Yep. To look for something that says more than once. So twice he uses a simile. Very good. So uh, you, you tell us consistently that, that we cannot really know what God looks like, so we're always told what he is like. Right. The things around him, yeah. The similar things. So if, if the things are way out of God, if you're describing those things that describe God, then uh, this is also... This, you're describing the kingdom partially. You can't describe it completely, but you're beginning to describe it with these things. Right. And, and think about it. What does a child ultimately represent in biblical view? Right. Goodness. And so that's exactly what I think you're, you're after, um, that God is good. And the sign of the covenant is children around him. Because God has filled his covenant to Abraham, and you're seeing that laid out before your eyes. Yep. Part of this is that he's potential in these kids, the future of these kids. The future of the kingdom. Right. So like Steve said, let's look at the, the contrast here. We've gone from the kids that, again, we see value with now because of Jesus' teaching, but to the other end of the spectrum. And the, the, this rich young ruler, that's an interesting phrase. 
uh, you know, chase a rabbit for a minute. I had a, a good catch-up visit with a friend uh, that still lives in Tennessee, still lives in Memphis. Uh, she uh, she stayed on up there, and uh, we were having a good good just catching up visit. And uh, so you, you guys know, I think I went to the University of Memphis in Tennessee and studied Egyptology. And um, Memphis is an interesting place. Um, I, I, I like living there. I would never live there again. But um, one of the, the the strange things, you know, why do they have an Egyptology program, the largest in the country in Memphis, Tennessee, um, is because of the sort of love, perceived love of Egypt. Um, especially among the African-American community. But there's this weird, weird kind of relationship the African-American community has with Egypt. Um, you know, For the most part, African-Americans come from uh, West Africa, and their culture was obliterated as they were slaves. So we've gone through this weird kind of thing where they grab at anything from Africa, and they make up... Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Welcome uh, to Bible study today. Uh, good to be together. Uh, looking forward to our time. Um, you know, uh, Pastor Kurt always does a really good job of reminding us how Jesus revolutionized the world and especially kids' place in the world. And um, uh, maybe sometimes us in America have taken it to an extreme, but nonetheless, uh, kids were on the bottom rung of uh, society, no doubt about it. And Jesus changed that. Um, so the question for you today is we prepared to get started is, what does God use to hold back his enemies? Huh. You ever thought about that? Well, Psalm 8 says something about it, and it's really surprising and very much fits in to what we're going to be talking about in Mark 10 today. So uh, if you want to turn over to Psalm 8, you can, or if you just want to close your eyes, uh, we'll pray this uh, together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor you made them ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim the paths of the sea Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Pick up with verse 13. 
Jesus is in his final stretch. He's doing sort of his last teachings. Uh, He's repeating himself because the disciples haven't got it all. Real important component to realize Jesus is very much in his his story telling mode, his look at life mode. Remember, we've got two schools of thought, two schools within the rabbi tradition. Uh, You've got the Pharisee mode, which is make simple rules so that people can do what the law says. You know, when in doubt, have everybody do it. When in doubt, uh, build a fence around it. Like Steve and I talk about a shamar. Uh, so uh, make your life so regimented that you're going to do the right thing. Jesus doesn't subscribe to that. He gets very frustrated with that. He comes from the other school uh, called Shammai. And they believe that living life... Uh, looking at real life experiences, looking at stories, uh, this is where you will see what God wants you to do. You listen to what the law says, but you find a way to do it in real life. So that's why Jesus tells parables. That's why Jesus, uh, in, like you'll see here, he has these two encounters uh, with people, and he bases again this real life experience on uh, the the teachings. Now, to be sure, the the Shammai stuff, and it's actually called Haggidah, um, so tell the story. Um, the Haggidah that Jesus does is the method that he uses, but the content that Jesus presents very different. And if you stop and think about it, he's going to do two things, to hopefully today. He's going to talk about kids. He's going to talk about a rich young ruler. So these are just scenarios that happen, and he bases his teachings on that. He's headed towards the ultimate Haggidah, the ultimate teaching through life. And that's the cross. Sure. It's, it's this huge thing that he's, he's working his way to. So we'll pick up in 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples told them not to bother him. Now this seems strange to us. It seems like the disciples are weird. But like we've talked about before, Steve just mentioned, uh, children, even in Jewish society, were to be seen, not heard. There were occasions in which the rabbis would bless children and certainly would teach the children, so that's their job. But... This this is an interruption. This is the crowds trying to force their way in. I mean, the rabbi's time is very important. You can't just crash, right? And so Jesus uses this this sort of mm, inappropriate moment on the part of some zealous parents to make this this teaching point. So so on a continuum, if if kids are on kind of the lowest rung of the continuum of importance in even Jewish culture. What would be the highest rung? That's a good, yeah. yeah. Elders, someone yeah. with grain in their beers. Okay, and kids. Yep. just kind of keep digging, keep mining. Hmm? No, so like, like, 
grandparents or what, which grandparent would then be most important? The male. And then what type of eldest males would be the most important? Keep going. The ones with the most money. <laughs> right? Like, so there's this, you know, so this continuum that would end with the most wealthy men in, in culture, right? In society. And so you're going to see how that kind of, how Jesus plays off of that as we go through this. I'm sure you've seen the picture, right? Of Jesus holding the children. He had to actually sit there quite a while to get that painting done, right? <laughs> but it, it makes this point that he is, he is changing the way kids are involved in worship, involved in the presence of the rabbi. I mean, it, it, all the laws that are surrounding the temple and sacrifice and tabernacle, none of it mentions children. Um, in other cultures, uh, other temples, children didn't—they were not involved at all. So he—he he really is using this kingdom thing to change it all. And honestly, guys, if if we can get this, it's it's a powerful intro into Jesus's teaching. If you look at the scenarios that are happening to you in your real life, somebody interrupts you at work and brings a kid in. What do you do? You think, you know, this is a workplace. Get out of here. We, we, we got bills to pay. Or do you stop for a minute and think, oh, wait, God's actually in charge of all this. And yeah, people are going to do stupid things, but I can do holy things in the midst of all this. So uh, kudos to Jesus. Uh, he, again, make a point, tells the disciples, uh, guys, uh, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So this would shock them, right? They've grown up in a culture where it's it's a meritocracy with the rabbis. The more you know, the more you study, the more scripture you've memorized, the more you understand, that moves you up. And like Steve said, you got the bottom rung here. These kids don't know anything. Chances are, these kids aren't even studying with a rabbi. Because otherwise they would be with that rabbi, getting the blessings from that rabbi. So these are the dropouts, or very, very young. And Jesus is like, no, look at this bottom rung here. The kingdom, the first, shall be last. And of course the disciples are thinking, oh, what is this? What is this he's talking about? So he goes on, I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And we've been trying to figure out what Jesus just said for thousands of years. What do kids have that gets them into the kingdom of God? Uh, in, in, his, uh, in the word of this case, submission. They, yeah. they know nothing. They're blank slate. They're blank slate. <laughs> We're not, um, uh, oh, um, <laughs> yes. I don't want to say naive, but just yeah, so trust, yeah. fully trust. Yeah. yeah. They're also receptive. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. 
think with me through that. I mean, you're not wrong. And it's Jesus is trying to get us to do this, right? Because he's sort of asking us a question and then he's not giving us the answer. If that's all God wanted was the innocence, the, the submission, the trust, why not just have children? Why not, in a sense, just end us all at eight? If that's all that he wants... Why does he allow us to grow old? Why does he give us 80 years, as they say, uh, to have gray in your beard and you understand? Why not just take us all as children? The obvious answer to me is that's not what he wanted. That's not what he intended. Right. We were born as the original people. Eternal life. Because they Right. But they still have something. I mean, this is what is Jesus doing? They still have something that he says gets you into the kingdom, but they're not, you know, they're tadpoles. He wants frogs. He wants us to grow up and change, but there's still that something about a child. And again, this would have been a shock for them because they're the lowest. They don't know anything. You know, in his world, what you know is what makes you somebody. So maybe it is that that trust, that faith. Um, you know, the children don't even know what the parents are doing, really. Um, but they trust their parent, and the parent leads them to a good place. If we can combine those things of being wise but trusting God, then maybe we we get into what Jesus is after. Well, I think also a part of it is is this this blessing that the parents are seeking on behalf of their kids. It's like it's everything. Like the biblical the biblical story of blessing, it is like central to the story. Wouldn't you agree, Pastor Kurt? Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it, it is like central, and so without God's blessing, can Abraham be anything? No. Uh, and that this blessing is intended to be received to pass it on. Well, one of the things that invariably happens that when we grow up, we <laughs> we become successful and we grow, and it's like we our need for God's blessing becomes diminished because we got it, Cade. Right. Our perceived need. Yeah. What? Our perceived. Yeah. Perce- yeah. That's a good. Good way to yeah. put it. Right. Becomes less, and, it, and I think that's what the, these kids have nothing but God's blessing. And it's just staying in this place where we stand under regularly the blessing of God in order to pass it on. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is this place where we're always bearing fruit, right? Uh, always hanging fruit on our, uh, our tree for other people to eat off of it. But our fruit won't grow unless we're remaining under the blessing. And uh, I think that's what one of the things Jesus is getting at here. And it's going to be, there's going to be a a very big contrast in the next pericope. Can I say pericope this early in the morning? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but if you can say it, go for it. That's no, right. Kidding. Yep. You said to look for something that says more than once. So twice it uses a simile. Very good. So uh, you, you tell us consistently that that we cannot really know what God looks like, so we're always told what He is like. Right, the things around Him, yeah. The similar things. So if, if the things around God, if you're describing those things to describe God, 
that uh, this is also you're describing the kingdom partially that you can't describe it completely but you're beginning to describe it with these things right and, and think about it what does a child ultimately represent in biblical view right goodness and so that's exactly what I think you're, you're after um, that God is good and the sign of the covenant is children around him because God has filled his covenant to Abraham and you're seeing that laid out before your eyes. Yep. Part of this is that God sees the potential in these kids and the future of these kids. The future of the kingdom right. and growing is their potential yeah. So like Steve said, let's look at the the contrast here. We've gone from the kids that again we see value with now because of Jesus' teaching, but to the other end of the spectrum. And the, the this rich young ruler, that's an interesting phrase. Uh you know, chase a rabbit for a minute. I had a, a good catch-up visit with a friend uh, that still lives in Tennessee, still lives in Memphis. Uh, she uh, she stayed on up there, and uh, we were having a good good just catching up visit. And uh, so you, you guys know, I think I went to the University of Memphis in Tennessee and studied Egyptology. And um, Memphis is an interesting place. Um, I, I, I like living there. I would never live there again. But um, one of the, the the strange things, you know, why do they have an Egyptology program, the largest in the country in Memphis, Tennessee, um, is because of the sort of love, perceived love, of Egypt, um, especially among the African-American community. But there's this weird, weird kind of relationship the African-American community has with Egypt. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, African-Americans come from uh, West Africa, and their culture was obliterated as they were slaves. So we've gone through this weird kind of thing where they grab at anything from Africa, and they make up this story that Egyptians uh, were black. And, you know, we, we used to do all the things at the museums. You know, the, the school kids would come in. And we always had this joke. Every time you say, does anybody have any questions? The first question is, was Cleopatra black? And the second question is, who built the pyramids? Right? That's just what you get all the, all the time. And so I knew there was... <coughs> A study done three years ago where they took 80 mummies, which is a huge sample um, in really any DNA study. But they took 80 mummies um, they, from different periods of Egyptian uh, history, did the DNA study, and they, they were never black ever. Um, in fact, they're more; they have more African blood now. Uh, than they did in ancient world. Um, actually, it's another one of those things where the Bible's right. Um, the, the DNA shows they're more related to people in Israel 
and uh, Turkey, Anatolia. And that's what the Bible says, that the sons of Ham, or the sons of Noah, are Shem and Ham. So Semites and Hamites, which are Egyptians, were related, and that's exactly what the DNA shows. But the problem is, you have people emotionally, passionately connected that this is their history, this is their story, and it's not. They've taken somebody else's culture and they've emotionally attached to it, and it's crazy town. And that's what she was relating to me, that it's getting out of hand. I mean, they almost can't do anything because there's this chip on the shoulder. If they try to explain, you know, there was one dynasty, the 25th dynasty, and that was a black dynasty, uh, but that's it. You know, of 30 dynasties, you got one. Um, it, it gets aggressive. It gets violent. And I was like, oof, that's crazy. And I started to think, we Christians are kind of in the same dangerous position. This is not our history. This is not our culture. We have stepped into this. Now, I think it's a little bit different because Jesus intended this, but we got to be really careful uh, when we study these things because it's not that we can just take it and then we can make up the meaning. I mean, the crazy thing is with this this ancient Egyptians being black, it's like Wakanda from uh, Marvel, right? It, it's this fantasy land that they've made up. It never existed. And Christians have to be careful because we can have the same problem. We make up a world. Specifically now, think about the phrase, rich, young, ruler. What's the thing that we zero in immediately, the Christians have for century? Rich. So, young, eh, you know, he probably inherited the money. That's what we say. Yeah, he didn't earn it. And he's a ruler. What does that even mean? And we, we move on. Well, and just also note that you have to combine all of the passages that mention this to get that. Right, right, right. Not, not so... The, the Matthew passage in Matthew 19, the Luke passage in Luke 18, you have to, to get all three of those descriptors, you gotta pull all from all three of those sources. And, and I think what I'm gonna explain will be that. The disciples are trying to, to get to you what's happening. So, let's, let's try to pick up their culture here and follow the threads. Um, Two things are happening in Jewish culture. Uh, one is going to help it survive and one is destroying it. We've already talked about the rabbi system. Uh, the rabbi system completely changed who is in charge of religion. Before the exile, it was the priests. The priests were the families uh, that were in charge. That's the way it was, except for kings and all that. But in terms of religion... So they go into exile. They don't have any temple. Uh, they don't have any priests. They got to do it on their own. The kids can't speak Hebrew anymore, so we got the teachers. You know the whole story. So on the one part, the priests are decreasing, and this meritocracy, uh, the best of, are rising as rabbis. So when the temple's completely gone, this is what survives. And I'm a firm believer that this is the origin of the church. Uh, that when we gather together to study God, it's it started with the rabbis. Okay, so that's the religious side. On the other side, what's destroying Jewish society is a very economic question. When, well, let me just ask, in the Old Testament, who owns the land? Who did God give the land to? The father. Hmm? The father of whoever sin is favor. 
Well, yeah, but remember, um, yeah, men, yeah. When when Moses starts to divvy up the land, he gives the land to various tribes. So, I mean, you're right. It belongs to men, it, it, but it belongs to families. It belongs to tribes. And so it, it's not, it, that just sounds normal to us. But who actually in the ancient world owned the land? The king. I mean, we, we again... This sort of changes our world. We're used to private ownership of land. That was a unique feature that came from the Bible, that tribes, individuals, uh, it was the 